I uh, sure hope you're doing well. I want to welcome those who are worshiping in the chapel, those at Pleasant View. Uh, man, chapel, last week we heard that uh, the Spirit moved so powerfully in your service, and we're so grateful to hear that as well. And for many that sent uh, me notes about downloading that app and using that this week and uh, the notes about the vulnerability, thank you for all that. That's absolutely wonderful and appreciate that. Uh, God's moving in our church, and I'm very grateful for that, and that's a great thing to be pastor of a church where God's moving. So we can celebrate that so you can actually smile. If you wanted to do that, that's, that's okay to smile about that, so that's wonderful. Lord, thank you so much for the beauty of this place and the beauty of these people. And I pray now, Father, that you would kind of hide me deep in your cross. Um, Lord, you know all the different wrestling uh, that I've had with this particular message and trying to get all the thoughts together in the right way. And Lord, I just want to be uh, glorifying to you as uh, all that we do here at this church. Uh, we just want to glorify you. And so um, I pray that as a result of our time together, I would be more like you. And uh, anyone else in the room who desires to be more like you, anybody who's watching, that they too, that wish would be granted, um, that, that desire of our hearts would be granted by you, Holy Spirit. So hide me deep in your cross, I pray in your name. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know if you have much experience with this, uh, but as a kid, I remember running. And uh, what I did for running when I was a kid was because I was playing games outside, games like tag or games like hide and seek. I would play those games. And uh, as weird as that sounds, kids used to like play outside and in the yard. It was kind of a weird time to grow up, uh, but that's kind of what we, what we all did. And, uh, and I would run as a teenager, but only for two reasons. One is if I had done something that I probably shouldn't have done and somebody was chasing me, you know, then I would run, you know, that kind of thing. And then in sports world, I would run, but I was always to either build up endurance or for training. It was never a pleasure thing. So then I get older, and I decide I should run for health, but then I realize that it hurts to run at my age, and so that too kind of became a negative. So you may not be able to relate to running necessarily, but perhaps you can relate to this idea of hitting a wall, uh, uh, hitting a wall. Now, in endurance sports, such as high mileage cycling, intense mountain biking, marathon running, preaching, all these sort of intense sports that people do, you know, people hit the wall, and, and hitting the wall is kind of this. It's, it's, a, it's a condition of sudden fatigue. And so I asked Lisa about this. It's this condition of sudden fatigue caused by the depletion of glycogen stores in the liver and muscles. If I didn't say that right, send me an email. <laughs> Most of the time, hitting the wall requires rest and carbohydrates. That's what will happen when people hit the wall. And so it's a literal physical exhaustion and diagnosis of what happens. Now, maybe you've never ran or cycled in such a way as to hit a wall, but I would bet we could all sort of share experiences in this room where we, life became tough. Maybe a season of life we went through, maybe a whole like decade of life, or maybe an experience or a relationship, but something happened that made you feel like you were hitting a wall, and maybe you thought, this is going to crush me. This, this is going to crush me. You hit a proverbial wall. Mothers of young children, you pretty much always know what it's like to hit the wall. I mean, it just happens. I was talking yesterday with some folks about that, and it's a tough time of life. If you've ever tried to diet. And then rode by Dairy Queen. You hit a wall. You know exactly what that's like. Anybody who has a dysfunctional family to go and spend time with at Thanksgiving, you understand what it's like to hit a wall. You Carolina fans, you know exactly what it is like for you to hit a wall. And I understand that. By the way, if you're struggling with this whole identity, this concept of hitting a wall, let me just drop this little pleasure thing on you. You only have 50 days until Christmas. So you better start knitting that sweater right now. I mean, if you're going to get on, and some of you, the rest of the service, you need to spend it on Amazon buying presents that need to be delivered for Christmas, something from your heart. Now, the Bible will often use athletics, 
running, boxing, those kinds of competitive things to describe life. You can do a search on your own. I just did a quick search and found these. Isaiah 40, Old Testament. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who open the Lord, they will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And then Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race, everybody's running, but only one gets the prize? So run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I I beat my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So when the Bible compares faith to running or compares faith to competitive activity, it's saying this. Are you ready? What the Bible is saying is this. Faith is really, really hard. The Bible never says faith is a walk in the park. The Bible never says faith is a piece of cake. Faith is hard, and it is not easy. And faith doesn't just happen because faith is difficult. We don't default into faith, and we all get this. You know, some of us signed up for the race of faith, and we thought it would be easy, and so we gave it 110%, and we tried really, really hard to do the right thing, and it worked for a while. But we got tired, and we got frustrated, and we got disillusioned, and we decided to quit because we discovered the harsh reality we couldn't make ourselves good by doing good. Some of us ran the race, race of faith for a season, but have since concluded it's not possible for you or possible for me. Because we ran into trials or maybe into an expectation that went unmet. Uh, we stayed unemployed. We, there was no healing. The relationship still tanked, and we chose to walk away from our faith. I hear this one. Some of us are pretty excited about this idea of faith until we meet some people of faith. And either they were fake or critical or unaccepting, and then we realized we couldn't be like them, and maybe we didn't even want to be like them, and so we walked away from faith. Friends, faith is really hard, and respectfully, if it's not, then you're probably not doing it right. You're probably not tracking exactly the right way with faith. It isn't just faith that's hard. Isn't it true that all of the most important things in our lives are hard? Is hard? Are hard? We have a lot of hard things in our lives. Isn't that also true? Isn't that true? Come on, think about this. Uh, Jesus, hard, that's hard. Marriage, <laughs> difficult. Family, health, sobriety, your job, purity, relationships. So in this series, I'm not going to try to look at how to keep us from wanting to quit because I personally think that's part of the devoted life. We all want to quit things we love. We all want to quit things that are difficult at some point in our lives. That's just kind of the nature of the beast, so to speak. And it's perfectly natural, I think, to respond to, that, to, to, to times at that. But what we are going to look at in this series is this. How do we keep going when it is difficult? How do we keep going in this thing called faith 
when we've hit a wall, whether it's a spiritual burnout, whether it's spiritual discouragement, or whether it's cynicism, whether it's a lack of belief, how do we keep going when we hit the wall? And to kind of begin this whole discussion with you for this series, I want to introduce us to a group of people, and this group of people is a lot like us. And I'll tell you why, just to keep it very real and honest with you. First, they loved God. And so I think many of us in the room would say, that's us. We, I love God. They were sincere in their following of God, and they're excited about Jesus. But here's the second thing. They were really confused about some of the things that God said. They were very confused about some of the things that were said. And as a result, these people were thinking about quitting. I'll give you an example of this. Jesus, uh, he talked about a kingdom. And so, you know, and you've heard me say before, people thought that meant that Jesus and all of his followers would be the political power, the new government on the planet, and the old oppressive one was going to be replaced. But Jesus wasn't talking about that kingdom. He was actually talking about a spiritual kingdom. So three years later into this vision casting thing where Jesus is getting everybody kind of riled up about this new kingdom, three years into this, Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher of the movement, is dead. He's killed on a cross, and everybody knows it. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't private. It was public. So what do you do as a follower when the leader, the hope, the new ruler, the deliverer, the Messiah dies, and he's put in a tomb? And in that moment, all the people who were following Jesus or who bought into his teachings, who placed their hope in his teachings, their expectations were shattered. And they concluded, some of them, well, they must have been fake. Most of them were disillusioned. They hit a wall. And I think it's important before we rush to the end of the three days that we remember the three days. Because I get that three days. <laughs> Three days later, Jesus, rumors start to spread that Jesus has actually risen from the dead. And that spreads like wildfire, as you might imagine. He appears to over 600 people. So it's no longer just somebody starting a rumor. It's actually coming from all different kinds of places. Jesus conquered death. But it wasn't just the miracle of being raised from the dead that was drawing people's attention. What was drawing people's attention is what he said after he had been raised from the dead. Because what Jesus said during that time was this, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'll be back to get you. You remember this? And what the people heard, to be honest, is something that I heard, and maybe you have too. What they heard was, I'll be right back. What they heard was, don't buy green bananas. You know, you're not going to have time. (laughs) What they heard was, sell everything you have and sit in the field and watch for the sky. That's what they heard. But as most of you probably know, he didn't come right back. And so first they hear the rabbi has died on a cross, the one who was supposed to be the new ruler of the kingdom, But then he comes back, but then while he's here, he says he's coming back again, 
But now, for a couple thousand years, we've got these crickets happening. No trumpet, no eastern sky rolling back like a scroll, no fanfare. And it gets a little worse, just so I can take us all the way down to the bottom here. <laughs> the life that they thought they were getting, this promise of abundant life, life to the full, that life that they thought would be easier, it, it actually became more difficult. Christians began to be persecuted on a grand scale. In 70 AD, the Romans decided to build this. And people that followed Jesus were literally fed to the lions as part of the entertainment for what took place here. Not only that, but there was this maniacal leader. (laughs) You can read about him in secular or sacred history books. It doesn't matter. And his name was Nero. He thought it would be kind of cool to grab Christians and set their bodies on fire in order to light up his garden parties. And that's what he would do. It was a regular thing during that time for Christians to be beaten, hurt, raped, abused on massive scale during this time. In fact, this is when the whole idea of the fish that we have on the back of our cars became so important. Because if we were to meet in a marketplace, and I was wondering if you were a believer, and you're wondering if I was a believer, you know, I'd draw the top line and you'd draw the bottom line so we knew we had fellowship. So naturally... A lot of Christians during this time felt like quitting. Jesus isn't going to help us. Life isn't abundant. I think life is actually worse. And would you think less of me if I said, I so get this? (laughs) Haven't all of us offered prayers and felt God did the opposite? (laughs) I must have prayed upside down. God did the exact opposite of what I asked him to do. Or maybe we passionately lay a case before God and lay it all out in prayer, but then God stays silent on the matter, at least appears to. The healing doesn't take place. The desire wasn't taken away. The depression persists. The relationship remains broken. And there are sort of three responses that I've seen in my life when those kinds of prayers are going on. Um, One of the responses that I come to when my prayers don't seem to go the way I want or the abundant life seems to be more like the deserted life, you know, I don't know. But first I think, well, maybe something's wrong with me. You know, maybe I didn't get what everybody else got. Maybe I'm still kind of warped, you know. If God isn't talking to me, then I must not be good enough. Maybe maybe I'm not really a Christian or, or maybe... I'm not in his inner circle like all those cool Christians are. You know, you go back to junior high (laughs) who talk about how God speaks to them all the time. That's how some of us respond. How about this one? And I went through a phase of this, I'd say. You know, there must not be a God. If I've played this whole thing out and I'm hitting the wall that I'm hitting, maybe God isn't there. Maybe this is truly just a construct of humanity. This whole thing's a sham. Pastors are charlatans, and at best, the local church is a big scheme. And then there's one more response that something's really wrong with me, or maybe there isn't a God, but how about this one? Maybe there's something wrong with God. God doesn't love the right way. God doesn't know what really is right and wrong. God's antiquated. God doesn't know truth, so, so we try to change him to sort of fit into something more palatable, something we can actually swallow. In all of these characteristics, 
disenchanted with faith and doubts about God and doubts about the things God said, they don't just describe our culture. They don't just describe my life and probably some of your lives, but they actually describe the people we're going to look at in this series. And so today, I basically just want to introduce you to them. And then through the series, we're going to go a little deeper. But the book of Hebrews is a letter that's written to people very much like us. All that I've told you is kind of what would describe them. And they struggled trying to match their beliefs and their experiences. And they were thinking about quitting, and they were thinking about finding something else. And so somebody writes a letter to encourage them. And I'm going to jump toward the end of the letter um, to, to kind of introduce them to you. Here's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And again... Um, <laughs> The word therefore is therefore reason, and I'm going to come back to that. Um, by the way, man, deepen class. We had a great deepen class this week. It's going to continue this week. The second we had formed a second deepen class, it too maxed out, and so we're already full with that one. Uh, we don't know what we're going to do because Justine's got to have a baby somewhere, so we've got to have a couple days off for that. And so we're, we'll figure out how to make all that happen. But listen, if you're interested in deepen, keep signing up. We'll figure out how to do the classes but for Bible study. But therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run, there's our word again, with perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. So this verse automatically raises three different questions for me. And if you're in Deepen, you already can identify what those questions are. First are, who are these witnesses we're talking about? Second, what are the things that are hindering and entangle us? And what's the race? Isn't that fair? I mean, if this is God's word, and we believe it's God's word, and if this is what God is actually saying to us, then doesn't it merit that we should answer those three questions? <laughs> so who are these witnesses? Well, you may be encouraged to know this isn't a bunch of creepy ghosts that are kind of hanging around watching, you know, making everything that you do. It's not that, when I'm thankful. You know, this is the testimony of lies that have actually gone before us. Let me put it in our terms. This is the testimony of people that hit a wall, and yet they pers- persevered. In fact, you have to go back to the previous chapter, which I should do now, but then that would save the big ending. You know, I wouldn't be able to do it. So I'm not going to go there right now. But in Hebrews chapter 11, there's this list of names. All but two people in that list of names didn't get to see the promises that God promised. They died before they were actually fulfilled. Noah's in that chapter. You remember what Noah's abundant life looked like? Build a big boat. Why? I'm going to destroy the world. Think he hit a wall? Think people accepted that in Noah's life? Abraham's there. You remember Abraham? Leave everything you know, which this was back in the day when it wasn't in vogue to do this. Leave everything you know, everybody you know, and go somewhere. Where? I'm not going to tell you until you're on the way. Which sounds just about like every trip Lisa and I take together. You know, I'm not going to tell you until you're on the way. How about Joseph? You remember Joseph? Come on. You talk about a dude hitting a wall. He gets sold into slavery for doing the right thing by his family. You think you have family issues. <laughs> then he gets falsely accused, gets thrown into jail, and gets forgotten while he's in jail. Do you think there's anywhere in that whole story line that possibly, just maybe, Joseph felt like he was hitting a wall? <laughs> Those are all in chapter 11. If you look down that list of chapter 11, they're all there. What the writer is saying is this, hey, we have, a, we have this cloud of witnesses. They're around us, and they endured hard times, and they've come out the other side, so let it encourage you. 
I learned something else that you may not know necessarily if you just look at this verse, but Greek actually has a couple of different words for cloud. Uh, one of those words is like a very distinct cloud. Like there's a cloud that looks like a rabbit, you know, that, that kind of cloud. Uh, but there's another word for cloud that is this massive, dark dreariness. Oh, I don't know, like today, you know, this kind of all over everything. This word's the second word. What he's saying is, your witnesses that have hit the wall before you ever got to the planet and started sucking air is innumerable. You go out and look at the sky today. Those are the amount of people that have persevered when they hit the wall. You can do this. You generations, millions and billions and billions and zillions and other aliens that I don't know of have faithful witnesses surrounding you. How about this? What are the things that are entangling us? What are these things that hinder us, that entangle us? You know, what is that all about? Therefore, since we have surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. That phrase, everything that hinders, literally means lay aside everything that is weighing you down. Isn't that cool? Yes, Tom, that's cool. You know why? It'd been a whole lot easier if you hadn't said that. It'd been a whole lot easier to throw across, you know, things that hinder us. I already had a list of names, right? (laughs) These things hinder me. It's not what it says. What it actually says is the things that are making you feel heavy, dude, the things that are weighing you down, those things, throw those things down. The things that are weighing us down, they all come from a very similar place. Again, I made a list. You know, that's kind of what I do is I think people are weighed down by their past. I bet some of the people in the room here are like that. You know, the past was so rugged and it was so colorful that maybe it's still weighing you down when you go into, come into a room like this. I think some people are weighed down by pressure to be something they're not. And so they spend their whole lives trying to image manage, make everybody think we're something we're not. That weighs you down, dude. That, that, that'll, that'll wear you out. How about this? Some people are weighed down by pride. <laughs> they think everybody should be like them. And they're not afraid to tell you. People are weighed down by that stuff. That's why I love being a Me Too church. If you're just visiting, you need to know this. We simply refuse to hide the truth that we're all sinners. And we're still a people who understand we live in a sinful world. And the only distinction is some of us, we've been saved by grace. So we're not trying to pretend to be anything we never were, because we never were that. This list of idea of being perfect never happened. And I'll tell you, God's not finished with any of us yet. He's certainly not finished with me. And there are so many people that are alive, people that would surprise you who live way down and it results in hitting a wall. People who live as if they're second-class citizens in the kingdom of God because they carry so much weight from their sin. People do that all the time. <laughs> and we live by this all the time. Weighed down by a past. Weighed down by pressure to be something we're not. Weighed down by pride. I bet you could go back and look at your life this week and your actions this week and your thoughts this week and probably draw a line directly to one of these. People come to church sometimes and feel like they have to hide. And eventually that will feel like you're hitting a wall. 
sin weighs us down. You can feel that way. And there's one other question in this whole passage that's been kind of getting at me. That is this. What is this whole marked out race business? Have you noticed there's a lot of people that want to mark out your race? <laughs> but apparently there's one that's already marked out. What's this marked out race? And to get at this, you have to go to the previous chapter, communication device right here. So therefore, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The marked out race, writer starts this. Faith, it's being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. Do you think that meant anything to a group of people who'd seen Jesus die, heard he'd been resurrected? He said he was going to go prepare a place and come back, but so far we haven't seen it. You see Let me ask you this. Am I the only one in the room who has some areas of faith that I haven't seen yet? Areas of faith that I hope for, that I long for? Certain promises in God's word that I'm confident of, but I haven't seen them? Here's the thing. Do you know faith is not a Christian idea? We've owned it like it is. It's not. Faith, faith is a belief system about anything. Not just what you believe about God. We Christians act like we invented it. We didn't. Faith is basically this idea. Faith is, I believe this is true, therefore this will be the result. That's what faith is. And we do this all the time in Christianity, but we don't just do it in Christianity. We do it when we drive. I believe if I drive this way, then most likely this will be the result. And the rest of us believe if you continue to drive that way, then this is going to be the result. And we're not real excited about that. Anybody text and drive? Don't raise your hands. Of course you do sometimes. Why do you do that? Well, because you don't believe you're actually going to be the one. Fair? Glad I don't struggle with that. And we do it in Christianity. I believe God's like this. He will therefore do this. And the reverse is also true. I believe if I do this, God will do this. Faith is who or what we depend on to, to do life. The problem arises when we believed God would do something and he didn't, or when we thought God was like this and he wasn't. So now we're hitting a wall and we feel like quitting. So the way we define faith around here goes something like this. I think faith is having the confidence that God's who he says he is and he's going to do everything he promises to do. I think that's what faith is. God says he's good. God says he's powerful. God says he's all-knowing. God says he's your redeemer. God says he's your heavenly father and you are his adopted children. God says he's a forgiver. God says he is grace. God says he is merciful. God says he adores you. God says he loves you unconditionally. And God has made promises to you. He promises to love and to forgive, to never leave you. He promises the circumstances of life will not crush you. And he promise us to give, promises to give us the strength to keep going. He promises to give us abundant life. Amen. He never promised. If we do the right thing, life will go our way. It's not in there. You're not broken. He never promised if we'll stay faithful to him, people will always stay faithful to you. He didn't say that. He said he'll stay faithful to you. He never promised, ready, 
He never promised, if you'll take care of your body, you'll never be sick. He didn't promise that. The marked out race, ready? It's faith. The marked out race is living, living confidently after what you believe to be true based on what you're reading in God's word. That's what faith is. And listen, brothers and sisters, listen. If you aren't clear on your marked out race, there'll be a whole lot of people telling you the race that they think you should run. And it will weigh you down. The marked out race is living confident what you believe is to be true. Living with the belief that God is who he says he is and he will do everything he promises to do. Now here's the thing. You and I actually have something. I was going to say this is like the cherry on top of a Sunday, but really it's bigger than that. It's like the roast beef part of the meal. I don't even know how to say it, but we'll just stay with food analogies. I don't know. Because there's some incredible good news in regard to hitting the wall. For whatever reason, those of us in the room may hit the wall. And it's a verse that I haven't told you yet because I've been waiting for this moment. It's actually the next part of the verse, the next part after this. This is verse 2, chapter 12, verse 1. Here's verse 2. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author right after the race, and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. What? You mean Jesus hit a wall? (laughs) That's exactly what he means. Read about what happened in the garden. Just read and tell me if that doesn't sound like a man hitting a wall. He endured its shame and sat down now at the right hand of the throne of God. That perfecter, just to kind of make it, kind of gets confused sometimes. Uh, Perfecter is, is what it means is one who makes possible the successful completion of something. Sometimes in your scripture, this will be translated finisher, which, which I, I kind of like, but I don't know, I'm not because I'm a Greek expert because I like that word, the finisher of our faith, which is encouraging to me who's an unfinished faith guy. That great cloud of witnesses that was listed in Hebrews chapter 11, are you ready? That's under the old covenant. All those dude and dudettes were under the old covenant. They didn't have Jesus. They didn't have the Holy Spirit as you and I have the Holy Spirit. That hadn't happened yet. But we do. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Fix our eyes on Jesus as people of this new relationship with the leader and completer, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. Jesus is going with you. You're going to hit the wall, but Jesus is right beside you. You're not alone. Psalm 23 comes to mind. Even though you walk through the valley, shout out to death. I'm with you. I am with you in this. And that's what Jesus is saying to you. Even this morning, you aren't alone. If you're banging up against the wall, you are not alone. You have this great cloud of witnesses. You do. And we're all cheering each other on, ideally, as the kingdom of God is to function. (laughs) We're all cheering each other on. And we all walk through junk. And we all walk through difficult times. Personally, corporately, we do that. But don't ever make the mistake of thinking you're walking alone. Because we have the author and perfecter of our faith along with this great cloud of witnesses 
who are cheering us on. We are in the company of Jesus to not only run the race, but to finish it. Lord, thank you for these incredible folks. Thank you for the high honor of sharing with them such encouragement from your word. Lord, it encourages my heart this morning. And um, very thankful, Lord, that um, faith, faith is, uh, is something that you know all about. And you know it's something that we all need. We have to believe. And Lord, um, all kinds of folks have different faith in all kinds of things. Lord, how comforting it is to have faith in you, someone who knows what it's like to hit the wall for me. I, I, I like that. And I pray for my friends in the room who, they're hitting the wall. They could describe down to every detail right now in their lives because this is a moment. This is the phone call. This was the email. This was the communication. This was the relationship. This is the job. This is the diagnosis. And it feels like we're hitting a wall. Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can call on right now that you would shore us up. Folks that are running into the wall, the hand on the back and whisper in the ear, I got you in this. We're going to get through this. Look, there's this awesome cloud of witnesses, like the dark clouds across the sky. People that endured, who ran this race, who threw off everything that threw off everything that entangled them. And they ran the race that was set up. You can do this. And I pray that we would all do that. I pray that we would run this race with perseverance. In your name we pray. Amen.